0: No oh. And this is Death at Sec. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Lee Webster. Lee Webster is the Director of New Hampshire Funeral Resources, Education, and Advocacy. She's the Emeritus President of the National Home Funeral Alliance and Emeritus Board of Directors and Educational Consultant for the Green Burial Council. Lee is the author of several home funeral and green burial books and the editor of Changing Landscapes, exploring the growth of ethical, compassionate and environmentally sustainable green funeral practices you can find links to Lee's work uh, as well as the organizations that she's a part of in the show notes for today's episode on www.deathatsec.com lee thank you so much for joining me today um, you're one of the leaders in two different movements that I think of as neo-traditional, because they're not really revolutionary. They're taking us back to old practices, right? So that would be home funerals um, and green burial. So can you take a couple minutes to talk about what a home funeral is, what green burial is, and why you think these are important?
1: Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me to to uh, come on and explain some of this stuff. Um and I love your terminology. That's that's pretty, I think that's right on. Um, home funerals are absolutely that. They're They're things that we have done since the beginning of time, and it's only in the last hundred years or so that we started to outsource it to professionals. So basically what it is, is families continuing to care for their own dead. It's that simple. It's retaining custody and control of the body doing all the things that are necessary. Now it's a little more complicated than it was, uh, you know, back in the day. Um, But not so difficult that families can't do it themselves. And, And there are definite benefits.
0: So if a person died at home, you're saying a home funeral would involve not calling a funeral professional in the middle of the night, right? Correct. <laughs> so then what would be like, At a, you know, we could spend the entire time during the podcast talking about sort of the nuances of home funeral. But what are the kind of basic steps? I mean, what would people do instead of calling a funeral professional?
1: Yeah. I, and I do want to back up a little bit. We will call a, a professional if we need to. Um, it doesn't negate the fact that we are uh, family led and family directed. So um, it isn't that funeral directors are the bad guys, it's just that families are taking on more responsibility. So that means that, first of all, we don't recognize death as an emergency. We don't have to make an immediate phone call to anyone unless it's an, un- an unanticipated death, in which case you're going to call the authorities immediately. Um, and if they're on hospice service, you're gonna call the hospice nurse to come and, and pronounce, but, but uh, you don't have to do that at one in the morning, you can let them sleep, it, it's okay, <laughs> it's yeah. all right. Um, and we simply stay with the body, we, we will bathe the body, uh, if we choose to, it may already have happened. Um, We want to close the eyes and and, mouth and all those things that most people feel more comfortable with, but uh, one of the main uh, characteristics of of, um, a home funeral is it's okay for people to look dead, Mm. uh, because part of this process is absorbing the fact that, that this death has occurred. Uh, we're taking the time to be present and and nearby, and to engage with what's happening, uh, with all the people in the room, with the community in the room, and the um, and family, and and the dead person. So mm-hmm. it's it's taking the time to be with them. So that can be a few hours. That can be a few days. Uh, again, it doesn't pre- you know preclude calling in clergy or calling in, you know, someone who might be able to help with different aspects of the work, but it's the family that makes the decisions about how that's going to happen and carries them through. So this
0: isn't an all or nothing proposition. In other words, if you have a family that lives in a densely populated urban area or um, they're elderly themselves or, you know, physically incapable or challenged of sort of handling these things themselves, it's not that they can't have a home funeral Right. Because of these sort of logistical right. problems, they can just have what you see it as more of a sliding scale of family involvement.
1: Yeah, and two different, you're really two different uh, sort of, I mean, you don't want to call them definitions because everyone kind of defines this the way they want to, but two different ways of looking at it. And one is the the physical, uh, you know, what's going to happen to the body and how's it going to happen and, you know, how much time do you have? You're looking at legal, um, you know, parameters and so on, you know, how much time you have before you go and do things. But the other part is to be experiencing it in an emotional and spiritual So Mm -hmm. if it means that you have your loved one for an hour, but during that time, there's meaningful exchange, you had a home funeral. Right. Right. You can define it that way if you choose. So we're not we're not all, um, you know, black and white about it. It's wonderful to be able to do it completely yourself. There's a huge sense of accomplishment and, and connection that occurs when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, being rigid about it just kind of puts us into the funeral, conventional funeral category. So we're trying to avoid that. Okay, so that's home funerals. So, so tell me about green burial. Green burial is, uh, is another piece that uh, people are trying to d- define in many, many different ways. And essentially, again, the physical aspect of it is that the body is going to go into the ground at about three and a half to four feet, where um, there, we do nothing to impede decomposition. That's pretty, pretty basic. No concrete, no metal, no, you know, exotic woods, no embalming, no toxic chemicals of any kind, and so on. We're, we're simply letting nature take its course at its own pace.
0: So you're wrapping the body in a shroud or putting it into, you, there are some sort of enclosures that you can put remains into, right?
1: Well, yeah. And because there are legal aspects around this about transporting a body in rigid containers mm. and, you know, mm. you know, depending on your state and so on. So, so usually the body is going to arrive in, in these different different types of containers Um, but it's very possible to get to a green burial cemetery and have the have the family decide that um, they don't need anything like I call Mm. those ooh la la burials Um, (laughs) not sure I'm not sure how many of them happen but I hear they do Um, and the idea then is yeah shrouds shrouding I think is becoming more um, more acceptable it's becoming a little more fashionable now because we can do a lot of fun things with it and because Mm. it is very minimal um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea is if anything that we do put in, we want to be as uh, fully biodegradable as possible. We're not real, um, again, w- being a stickler about this just just creates bigger problems. Um, the idea here is that if somebody has a, a, a you know, titanium knee, we're not going to take it out before we put them in. We're not going to rip zippers out of men's trousers. It's okay. It's better right. than what we've been doing. We're, we're right. fine with it. The, the, the net gain is, is much better. So and so that leads me to the other aspect of this, which is, the, again, the emotional and spiritual piece of this, is that green burial is bringing back ritual to, uh, to a society that's been losing it because we've been trying to avoid those heavy costs of funerals and going with direct cremation. So we're bringing back ritual. And if that means that people come to the Green Burial Cemetery and they stand around while it's all happening and they sing a song and they do whatever, they have a full-on Catholic service, mm-hmm. whatever they want to do is perfectly fine. None of that changes the fact that the body is going in the ground the way it is and that there's, there's meaning to that that's, that's mm-hmm. a rewarding experience for the family.
0: So it's so interesting to hear you talk about ritual because um on the podcast I'm tr- I'm trying to talk to a whole variety of different people who come from different perspectives and try and figure out what the common ground is and what sort of the sources of and the points of disagreement are. Um and so I was talking to Dan Iserd, um, who does funeral home yes. um management consulting, financial consulting, and he talked a lot about the funeral industry's concern that because people are increasingly unchurched, we're losing this tradition and the ritual and the, the meaning. Um, and I've heard a lot of funeral industry folks talk about how we're losing the meaning in funerals. So it's just so interesting for you to talk about people who feel like the funerals have lost meaning and are trying to re-inject meaning, but in this very different way. I mean, it's, you're both talking about the same thing, right? Yes. But sort of different yes. perspectives and takes on what I think you'd both agree is a fundamental problem, which is a lack of... Uh, ritual and meaning in our in our death care practices
1: absolutely and and that's why we don't discount the 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 way that things have been done it's what brings people comfort it it's what you know it it meets the need to um what we're but what we're looking for is for people to be thinking a little bit deeper and thinking more about what's truly authentic to um to to the the life of the person that they're they're honoring i look at it in in um in know, this is an interesting juxtaposition for me. The funeral industry uses personalization, which can often, uh, it, and I think what they're trying to get at is what we're talking about. I think we're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the language of personalization is different from the language of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're coming at the same yeah. goal, but from very different different angles. And we're not monetizing it in the way mm-hmm. that the funeral industry has to, because this is their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, you know, that we're not, we're not opposed to that in any way. It's the, it's, it's, how can we meet the needs of the family? And we are coming at it from different, different angles. But I think hopefully in the end, we come to the same place because change needs to occur from within as well as from without. And how long have you
0: been working in these areas?
1: Well, you could probably say my entire life because yeah. <laughs> my parents were cemetery commissioners in my uh, little little town uh, in, in rural Vermont uh, where I grew up, and uh, and so Saturdays was was us um, working in the in the cemeteries, yeah. so you know, cutting grass and so on. But this uh, this all uh, has happened because um, because I had a convergence uh, around two thousand seven when I. Read um, Mark Harris's book *Grave Matters*, and uh, and it was a convergence of years and years. I've been in hospice for 30 years, and I've been very active in conservation work for longer than that. And green burial just was a convergence of those two, you know, defining interests of my life that then, you know, spilled over into everything else that's connected with it you know home funerals and so on so and now end of life doula work so
0: and so how, how have you seen sort of social norms changing or have you seen social norms change in the time that you've been involved in this advocacy and education work
1: yeah significantly um you know at the and it's funny because this is how i measure it at when i first got going i i set google alerts for, uh, for all of these uh, titles that were coming up. And I just kept setting them. And I have, you know, since the very beginning in 2010, 9, 2009, 8, somewhere in there, <laughs> um, I, 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 I have every article that's ever been written and published that's been picked up by Google. And, you know, what I had was about one on green burial every six months. Now I've got huh. them, you know, two or three or four a day. Wow. Um, yeah. So so when you look at what's in the media, which, which tells you that people, you know, they're not going to keep on covering it if people aren't interested in are going. Right. And then the other way is that, you know, I started talking in public about this very early on. Mm-hmm. And um, and now I I, I mean, I, I just it's me and hundreds of other people who are out there mm-hmm. filling libraries and you know, hospice in services and, and so on, you know, senior facilities, you, schools. I mean, I, I do every year I do a couple of uh, guest lectures at universities and colleges all around New England. I just sort of travel around doing this for death and dying <laughs> classes. And the difference is enormous. It's mm. um, the people are hungry for this information. They're there. And they're they're still even if they didn't read it, they're still very influenced by the Mitford book about about you know uh, the american way of death i always miss the title, and uh and they think you know we're we're accustomed to think that our local funeral director is such a fabulous guy we know him so well he's taking care of the whole family but funeral directors in general are just terrible and and this is a crazy disconnect that we have um in our thinking same
0: attitude people have towards congress
1: right Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So when I'm traveling around and I'm talking to people about this kind of stuff, I'm filling up rooms of people who are just going, oh, yeah, they're terrible. And then I'll say, well, you might want to ask them to help you do this. Oh, yeah, I got a guy.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So I'm but I'm seeing more of that, um, uh, more people being interested in it. Um, you, it there used to be, and in fact, I had one, one, uh, group that I went to see, uh, that said, uh, they got to the end of it and they, they said to me, how did we get through the whole thing without using, without talking about being dead? And we had so much fun. <laughs> and I, I thought, what do you mean? I, death is like every other word I'm talking about here, but they weren't hearing it. They were hearing the excitement of having options and being able to think this through in a conscious way and not being afraid of it. Yeah. So they interpreted it that way.
0: And it really is stunning how little you have to talk to people or or, or what a short period of time you have to talk to people over to begin to break down some of this sort of cultural sensitization we have towards death, right? Exactly. The whole culture thing. So I teach funeral and cemetery law at Wake Forest and in the course of 14 weeks, I mean the first week people are visibly uncomfortable. By the end of the semester, it's really unbelievable. They're willing to talk about anything, right? Um, it, it, and they, and they don't even realize they've sort of gone through this process. So it's always fun to kind of have them write down some impressions the first week on some different issues and then have them look at those again at the end, and then they can sort of see concrete proof of their journey. But, um, I do see a lot more people having being comfortable having these conversations or being willing to show up to the kind of presentations that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's all different ages. It crosses all socioeconomic borders. I mean, everybody is is um, is recognizing that it's something they need to pay attention to. And and you're right. And and it's the same. You know, it's the same when we talk about home funerals. There might be people in the family who are particularly interested in having this happen. There might be other ones who think it's terrible and what the heck is going on you know, by the end of the experience, pretty much everybody's on board. So it doesn't take much. It just takes experience. Well,
0: so tell me about, this might be a good time to talk about your, the book that you edited changing landscapes. What was, what were you trying to accomplish um, with that project?
1: Well, in in a word change with, from within, as I was talking about, Um, there are a lot of different reasons to put it together. One was that it, it was part of my job, um, as a board member and education consultant for the Green Burial Council, um, for their their education wing that was activated for that for this the purpose of developing educational materials to try to reach the public, um, and and so I did that for about three years. which man, I did a lot of research and a lot of writing. And just to have things kind of sit on the sit on the the website and people not know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I was doing at the time also was representing the GBC and the National Home Funeral Alliance. At uh, organizations like ICCFA, the International Cremation and whatever their whole title, Cemetery is. Cemetery Funeral Association. There you go. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, when I was speaking there, it meant that I had access to the floor with the vendors, and I would go around finding all of the schools, the mortuary schools, and talking to those folks, because if the if the people were are graduating out of mortuary schools don't know about green methods and what has to go into this and what they're going to be running into when they when they see meet families who uh, who are getting a little more savvy because they can go on the internet and they can find out about home funerals and green burials. Um, it made sense to me that we develop a, a course where uh, these students coming out you know fresh out of mortuary school know what they're doing. Um, and so that was that was the impetus for creating it. A secondary benefit of it was that I was able to then take all that material that I had researched and pop it into a book so that it's in one consolidated, you know, space. Um, so that was good. And uh, and a third reason that ended up really being paramount for me was that it connected all of these independent thought leaders all around the country, really all around the world in these in, these, um, in this work, in their various approaches. Uh, and everybody in their own, you know, blowing their own little bubbles all over the, the, the country meant that we could consolidate some really interesting uh, opinions. And there, I went looking for things that were um, uh, contradicting one another because there is a lot of controversy and a lot, you know, nothing changes without controversy and 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 throwing all these ideas up in the air and, and seeing where they land. So that was the, the point of the book. And it reads, you know, it, it's interesting to me because I think it, it certainly reads like a textbook for a course in some ways. And then in others, you can pick and choose and get to learn Esmeralda Kent's fascinating life story as she, you know, began um, making shrouds which hadn't happened prior to that and and things like that, you know, it just, it seemed to me like a great repository of current thinking.
0: And so have you seen any mortuary science programs pick up the book or create a class with the book as the centerpiece of it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, well, what we did was uh, we found three schools and then we narrowed it down to one school, which is uh, the mid-Atlantic, Mortuary school that's run by Pierce Mortuary, uh, mm-hmm. which, by the way, <laughs> for for listeners, are the folks. It's run by the folks who started the Wilbert Company, who are the folks who make the vaults. So,
0: <laughs> the irony count. I was going to say, does that is that irony? I think that's the definition of irony.
1: <laughs> it is, and, and they're wonderful. They've been terrific. They've uh, they have uh, completed one course, and I think are about to complete a second. Uh, they needed a licensed funeral director, so I wasn't. Allowed, I developed the entire course and and wrote the textbook and the whole business, but I wasn't allowed to teach it because I'm not a mm. funeral director. So uh, I found a fellow, Sam Perry, who is a funeral director and a an avid uh, green burial uh, enthusiast, and he's been teaching the course, and it's been very successful, very interesting, and it's about to then branch out, and they're going to start using it at National Funeral Directors Association meetings to try to, you know, eventually we'll put together something we hope um, that will get current funeral directors up. And uh, there's a certification that is attached to it through the Green Burial Council. So having a certificate as a green funeral, um, you know, or being green funeral savvy, I guess, is uh, is a, a feather in the cap of Progressive yeah. funeral directors.
0: Well, let, let's talk about Green Burial Council for just a second, because mm-hmm. I think that the approach of the GBC is so interesting. So I was in commercial real estate before I started teaching and doing all this. And as soon the first time I saw Green Burial Council and the different levels of, I guess, certification or accreditation or, mm-hmm. or whatever certification, one, yeah. certification, um, it reminded me of LEED, L-E-E-D, which is yes. right. It's very familiar, um, it's, yes. So is that is that what you modeled? Green, I mean, is was that consciously what you're thinking about was to take the lead model, which was a private organization that said we want to promote um, more environmentally sustainable practices in buildings. So we're gonna create this gold silver, you know, I guess they have platinum, lead platinum, right? Um yes, they levels. Do. Yes, they and do. then the market started to accept and ascribe value to those meetings, right? So landlords right. could charge higher rents or a, a seller could charge a higher price if they were selling a lead building. Um, is that what you were thinking?
1: Well, um, I, I wasn't part of the organization at the time. Um, that was Joe Sehey who started it, and uh, that was now, what, 13, 14 years ago? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I don't know that he modeled it specifically after Lead, and he certainly wasn't thinking about money because the only money that changes hands is for the certification itself. Um, <clears throat> but but it on the start side, out, they
0: yeah, also list folks you know cemeteries or funeral service providers that have met those criteria, right which Correct. makes it more accessible for consumers and so mm-hmm. hopefully then the idea is that the providers see value in the certification and being listed and that that translates into right. a, a, you know a market advantage.
1: Well, and right. I can tell you exactly and and I can tell you from from many many conversations with Joe that it, it was uh, it's more about trust for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, he's a he's a former um, uh, Jesuit novice um i think or novitiate or whatever they call them and he his 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 goal in this was very much altruistic um and he wanted a third-party trust provider who was would be able to say yes this cemetery does meet these nobody's going to be he termed essentially created the term greenwashing um mm-hmm. for for places that were pretending to do what they you know what we're saying uh, mm-hmm. but we're still you know still business as usual. So uh, what we're trying to do is make to get ahead of the market and say, okay, if we're going to have green burial, we're going to make sure that people know what it means and that it's done properly.
0: Yeah, I've seen some articles saying, you can be a green funeral home, use recycled paper.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, is that the greenwashing sort of thing? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it, right there. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is going to a funeral home and seeing their green wall where they have the products that they consider green, and finding a plastic um, container uh, 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 sitting on the floor and wondering what are you what you're talking about. And simple things like um, like wicker baskets that that come from Indonesia made by tiny hands. Mm. You know, sure, it's green, it's biodegradable, but it's got a huge footprint. So, mm-hmm. you know, and some real social justice issues involved with it. So those are the things that we we've kind of gotten into the weeds being concerned about with this. Uh, you know, it's a simple concept, but it can get very difficult when it goes up against a 20 billion dollar a year industry.
0: Well, and it's a very opaque industry, right? It's very difficult for people to find out any sort of information. So what So when you're talking about a third party sort of, um, you know, trust, creating trust in the relationship, it's about promoting transparency.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Being very clear so that people, you know, drive up the Prius with the body in the back. We want to be sure they know exactly what they're getting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see? I mean, changing landscapes, you say change
0: from within the industry, right? I mean, that's, that's, um, you're not suggesting there needs to be an overthrow of the industry in order to promote the values for home funerals and green burial. What do you see going forward? Is the relationship or the ideal relationship between the industry and folks who are interested in these other practices?
1: Um, well, well, I've oh, my. My intent has always been to, to develop that and to make it as healthy a relationship as possible. You know, it's, it's not our intent. I don't think it's really anyone's intent to overthrow. It's mm-hmm. to change. Um, mm-hmm. uh, funeral reform is, is very much needed. There are certain practices within the industry itself that, are, that do need change in a very big way. For lots of different reasons. What would those? Um, what would be your top couple of practices that you'd well, like to see changed? Well, I think you you named it. It's it's basically transparency, and, and one of the largest issues for me is simply access. Mm. Um, I'm I'm always amazed that you know we live in a country that gives you know that grants or acknowledges. I'd rather think acknowledges the fact that we uh, as people, as humans, have the right to care for our own dead. And yet, we've set up systems where we are unable to, because mm-hmm. we don't have access to um, uh, filings, electronic filing systems, and, and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. we, it, it's become a, this complex mesh of of covering up all of the ways that we could be executing our own desire to care for our debt. Mm-hmm. So, those are the things that I think need attention. And it, as I say, it's it's uh, in many ways it w- wasn't intentional. We we see that all the time, right? With, with with state laws where legislators, you know, get a bug in their ear and suddenly create this legislation that that shuts down an entire population from doing what they're, you know, able to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the history of the legal system for governing sort of death care in the United States, there was definitely no plan to get us from there to here, right? Right. I right. mean. it's you can see this sort of series of incremental steps that all seemed like great ideas at the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're protecting public health. We're making, you know, the electronic filing system that's going to make it faster and more efficient. They weren't thinking about sort of the roadblocks that they were throwing up. Um, Right. So how, how do you, I mean, it, it seems like a big part, and you've mentioned the law a number of different times in putting up sort of restrictions. Um, sort of changing the industry from within is one aspect of what needs to happen. But how do you change the law?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, and, and this is something that the Funeral Consumers Alliance has been working on for 30 years. So, you know, it, it isn't, isn't me jumping in and going, hey, guys, I got a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This is something that even funeral directors in, in some regard and i 've spoken to funeral lobbyists and so on who, who you know they do want to protect their industry, but there 's also often a human element here where where they 're recognizing that they inadvertently stepped on a lot of toes so mm-hmm. it 's not that we can 't work together to change those laws it 's just that we have to find a system to do that, and we have to we have to find a way to educate the public. Primarily to understand that they have a right that they're not exercising mm-hmm. and that they, and having them understand why it's, it's beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the small, small ways that, that I do this is when I'm out talking to people. Uh, one of the big questions I get about three quarters of the way through is, Well, where can I have a green burial? And I said, mm-hmm. Well, you, I always have to say, Well, you can't because you, it's mm-hmm. your job to go, you, (laughs) to go to your cemetery trustee and ask them to relax the bylaws so that you can do this Mm -hmm. in your town cemetery. Oh, you mean it's up to me? Yeah, this isn't an act of Congress. This is something that you need to simply go do yourself. And the more we can get that grassroots activism going, the sooner all of this is going to be a, a moot issue in a lot of different ways. It's a little more difficult. I mean, I think in the cemetery arena, it can be, a little bit easier, particularly in rural areas, but um, but, the, but the the issue of, a lot of electronic death registration, which, by the way, I have no problem with. I, I think it is a wonderful system. In states where it works, the issue is that states do it differently, mm-hmm. um, and some some grant better access than others. What's that gonna take? I'm not really sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's gonna take, again, a dedicated group of people who are willing to go up to, to explain the case, Mm-hmm. Try and find the right ears and see what we can do to to get it moved. That's well, and then, new.
0: I mean, you, you have those sort of bureaucratic, sort of inadvertent bureaucratic hurdles. But then you also have, how many states is it now? States that say you have to have a funeral director um, involved in the disposition of human remains, right? That's just a legal prohibition on people doing it themselves.
1: right. Yeah, we have nine states now. We just lost one, which is great. Um, and and that was, again, another just terrible misunderstanding that legislators mm-hmm. went, oh, sure, you know, yeah, let's make it, you know, let's make it illegal to have a, a memorial in July with your family without hiring mm-hmm. a funeral director. You know, just it's crazy stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, there are several that, that require babysitting that require um, that you that, that a family you know forcing a family to spend thousands of dollars to have someone stand there and watch while you put the body right. in the ground or in the crematory. Mm-hmm. those are the really egregious laws that are going to stay on the books because they do support an industry that's trying to you know people who are trying to feed their families mm-hmm. once we have enough people who say you know that's just not right this is where I'm going to put my advocacy, time and money, then I, 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 you know, those things need to be overturned. It's just, but no one's thinking from that perspective because, you know, I talked to nine out of 10 people and they think that you are legally required to hire a funeral director under all circumstances.
0: Right. So, well, and, and then people are always surprised. As you said, the funeral and the cemetery issues are different, right? They're always surprised on the cemetery side because people say to me all the time, well, what's stopping me from burying somebody in my backyard? And I say in most States, all that's stopping you is zoning, <laughs> you yeah. know, and wh- whether or not it's properly zoned. And they can't believe it. And they, well, aren't vaults right. legally required? No, vaults aren't legally re- Isn't a casket legally required? Nope, nope. None of these things are legally required. The <laughs> biggest, as you said, you need to talk to your cemetery commissioners, right? Because the right. biggest impediment towards green burial in most places are the rules and regulations of the cemetery.
1: Yeah, which and- we're Right. Which, you know, Would, we, we we send them in in March every year here in New England and you know, everybody goes, Phew, thank God somebody else is going to do that. So I don't have to. And then right. they don't speak to them for the you know next 40 years that they continue to be the cemetery commissioners.
0: So and, and nobody ever reads it until there's a dispute, just like everything else with the law. Nobody ever looks at what the rules right. are until there's an argument about it. Right. Um, but, you know, so, and some cemeteries are, are huge and they're run by for-profit or nonprofit organizations. And those would be difficult to deal with. But some are small and local or owned by religious organizations whose values would be very much in line with green burial. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of opportunities for sort of very small scale advocacy to try and convince some of those cemeteries to adopt gr- rules that permit greener options for folks who want it. Right. Well,
1: and that is happening more and more. A lot of groups that I go and speak to are religious groups. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of training. And it, and the thing is, it goes, you know, they start out with the idea that they want green burial oppor- opportunities. And in mm-hmm. religious groups or spiritual communities, it's because they want to get back to those basics. The Catholic Church mm-hmm. is, is um, you know, I wrote an article years ago about this, that, you know, they're really leading the way in green burial because we're getting back to full body burial. They never wanted cremation. It doesn't mm-hmm. fit with the whole, you yeah. know, rapture idea the Mm -hmm. resurrection and so they're thrilled about it but i work with other communities quaker communities russian Mm -hmm. orthodox all of these folks and what it means is though is that we don't you know we always start the conversation with green burial but we have to walk it back to home funeral because Mm -hmm. the body has to be prepared appropriately for the green burial or Mm -hmm. not not prepared inappropriately
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> for the green burial and that brings them back to very you know uh, more fundamental uh, practices and they realized gosh this is what they were doing already Unitarian Universalists you know from the very beginning they're mm-hmm. big leaders in funeral reform and, and issues mm-hmm. um, uh, right from the get-go and they even they had lost the fact that this is part of their very strong tradition. So mm-hmm. my getting into those communities, retraining people how to do this, setting up their phone chains and figuring out who's going to show up for what um, mm-hmm. is, um, is really gratifying work for me because it brings communities together. And, and, um, and it's going to, that's what's going to create change too. Well, we've got a couple more
0: minutes. I'd love to talk to you about um, the social justice, the social justice critique of conventional funerals that you wrote about in the Wake Forest Uh, Journal of Law and Policy. So I I, I noted down. So you said there are three main points to your critique. First is that conventional funerals create an imbalance of power. Second, that they restrict access for an increasingly disenfranchised populations. And third, um, that they impose undue economic burdens on families during difficult times. So can you talk a little bit more about how... (laughs) Yes, yes, you agree.
1: (laughs) Um, But can you talk a little bit about how... How how that works. And all right. So all those three those three points are are, are, I think are pretty valid. Um, And we've already kind of dealt with the access issue. It's not just access to to uh, being able to to complete um, the the electronic filing. It has to do with access to to uh, goods and services. You know, it, you know, the, the the industry kind of has a has a monopoly on funeral goods. So how do we go around that? Well, there's an underground to sort of again becoming an above ground cottage industry around, uh, you know, that's happening very locally all over the country. People making their own coffins and and shrouds and so on. So we're finding a way to beat that, but it's you know it's it's not an intentional kind of thing for a lot of people um, to thwart the industry. But it is something that is in the way of uh, Mm -hmm. people being able to continue. Um, So let's see. What are the other? What were some of the other ideas here? The imbalance of power. Yeah, Yeah. imbalance of power is pretty big uh, around all of this. Again, that has to do with access. Um, But but even and also
0: transparency, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, because the and, lack of knowledge creates an imbalance of power.
1: Every, always, always. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that's kind of what we've, uh, that's what we've accepted. You know, you know, we, the funeral industry didn't become what it is because, uh, because they, they thrust it on us so much as the fact that we, we bought it hook, line and sinker. So mm-hmm. the fact that we're standing up and saying, wait a minute, I don't really like the direction this is going. And I, you know, how did it get out of my control? Now that I know that I actually have the right to that control, um, and and so instead of seeing the industry as as a big brother, we're we're now kind of going now. Wait a minute, you know, we we and we're we're trying to we're trying to equalize that. That balance and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to do because in some ways not not culturally and legally you know there are a lot of ways that they they have it over us Mm -hmm. so one of the things that's happened is the the emergence of uh, home funeral guides so people who are in you know who are informally trained, they're not credentialed because they can't be, they're going up against a regulated industry, um, so they can't be certified or anything like that. Um, but they are training and they're going out there and they're uh, assisting families, teaching them to do the things that families need to do. And the families are the ones who are doing it because that's mm-hmm. who has the authority to, to do it. Um, but but the, the And that's all well and good and I'm, I'm huge on it obviously, I've been working on that for years and years. At the same time, I do see an innate issue here in the balance of power. If we're going to just put other people in positions um, that usurp the family's power, we're just doing to them what has already been done to us. So it's critically important that we start seeing that they, that, uh, that that's a social justice issue right there, the idea that we bring in people to do things for us, to disempower us. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, the crux of the matter. So there's a delicate, very delicate balance here.
0: Mm-hmm. So the idea is that we've somehow consented. So mm-hmm. a society has consented to being disempowered over the past yeah. century. And that now, you know, I say this all the time that it's a democracy, right? And the, the law is a, uh, the law is a construct and we create it. And if we created one that we don't like or a system that we don't like, we have the power to change it. Not only the power, we have the responsibility to change it, right? Because it's our country.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And one of the ways that we do that most effectively is to get those who have the power over us into our own camp. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. Look at you bringing it all back full circle. There it is. There it is. Well Lee, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. I think this was a um, this will be a really useful episode for some people who are unfamiliar with home funerals and green burials uh, to listen to. But also, I really appreciate um, everything that you say about trying to work with the industry and you know and uh, to promote what increasing numbers of consumers are asking for and that these aren't movements um, that are sort of diametrically opposed to an opposition to the industry but are seeking to sort of move on to a common path that more people are interested in.
1: Yes, beautifully. Yeah, I don't have to say it again. You did it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, it. thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I thank r- you. I really appreciate it. Many thanks to Lee Webster for joining me today on Death at Sec. If you're interested in learning more about the topics discussed in today's episode, please visit our website at www.deathatsec.com to check out the show notes. Please also visit the website to submit any questions that you have, and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like Death at Sec, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and give us a good rating on iTunes so that we can continue to get the word out. Thanks for listening!